Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to you. You guys ready for Christmas now? All right, all right. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. So I want to welcome all of you who are here live, everybody watching online as well. We're so glad that you've joined us. And here's the question today. How did the birth of Jesus come about? Like, how did it happen? Well, Matthew 1.18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about, just in case you were interested. Okay? And Matthew lets us know, as a young Jewish man, that he believed Jesus was the Messiah, the one the Jews were waiting to come and save them. And that's what that term Messiah means. It was a Hebrew title for the Savior of the Jews. And the word Christ, that is the Greek equivalent of Messiah. It's just a title. So Christ was not Jesus' last name, all right? It wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ and their son Jesus, just so you know. Right, it's important. The Christ was the title, the Greek title for the Jewish title Messiah, the one who was to come. And since we're talking about names up front here, let me talk about this name Jesus for just a little bit here. And this may ruin Christmas for some of you. I'm, trust me, my goal is not to ruin Christmas for you. This is an important part of the story, but the name Jesus is a Latin term, and it's a translation of the Greek name Iesus, okay? So Jesus is Latin, Iesus was the Greek, and the Greek Iesus was a translation of the Hebrew term Yeshua, Yeshua. In fact, you may meet people and you think they're just showing off because they don't say Jesus, they say Yeshua, and you say, God bless you, and they say, no, 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 I didn't sneeze, and that's his name, it's, it's Yeshua. Now, from Yeshua, because you got to understand that the Hebrews, they didn't have a J. They didn't have that letter. The, the Greeks didn't have a J. And aren't you glad you came to church this morning to get this grammar lesson? This is all free of charge, by the way. From Yeshua, we get the name Joshua. Okay, that's the Hebrew term there. But they didn't have the just sound, so it's just Yeshua, Yeshua. So to kind of mess up all of your Christmas music and all of your Christmas narrative, okay, we have been mispronouncing Jesus' name the whole time, all right? In fact, that may be why some of you, you're not getting your prayers answered. God's up in heaven saying, man, until you can get Jesus' name right, I ain't paying attention. I mean, it's not Jesus. It's, it's Yeshua or at least Joshua. Now, I don't think that we're going to reprint all of our Bibles. We're not going to rewrite all of our Christmas songs. You know, I talked with Josh about that, the, the three-syllable, Yeshua loves me, this. It doesn't work very well, okay? So we will stick with Jesus. But here's the purpose for this whole rant. I really do have a purpose behind all this, okay? It's incredibly significant, incredibly important to the Christmas narrative to realize that when we say the name Jesus, that is actually the name Joshua. Jesus' name is Joshua. And who was Joshua? Well, Joshua was a military man. Joshua was a warrior. And you see, the ancient Jews, they weren't looking for another Moses. They were not anticipating another lawgiver. They had enough laws. They were looking for a Joshua, a warrior king, to come in and deliver them from their oppressors. They were looking for a Joshua. So see, you've already learned something, okay? And here's how the story goes says, his mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, you're probably aware that in Jewish culture, being pregnant outside of wedlock was a serious, serious offense. Uh, Mary could have been publicly shamed. Mary could have been sent away. Mary could have been stoned to death. So this is a troubling situation, to say the least. Now, scholars estimate that Mary was probably 12 to 15 years of age. Some people say she could have been as young as 10 or 11 when she was engaged, but probably 12 to 15. And Joseph would have been considerably older than that. And I think we get some hints in the text here as to why Joseph responded the way he did. And the first one is quite simple. Her whole story sounded really, really cray-cray, right? I mean, seriously. I'm sure her parents sat her down and said, okay, Mary, you're pregnant. Uh, yeah, so which of the crazy men in this neighborhood is responsible? Who's the father? What's going on here? And what does she say? Oh, mom, no, 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 mother. It was no man. It was an angel. Like an angel appeared to me. And they're like, oh, that's great, dear, right? What are we going to do with this? And Joseph's in the same predicament. I mean, try to, try to imagine being Joseph. Joseph somehow hears, we don't know how, but he learns that Mary is pregnant, and her story is an angel told her God made her pregnant. Like, what do you do with that? I mean, it's kind of hard to stone a crazy person. And so he's stuck. He's like, I, I got to get married to this girl. I'm supposed to be married to this young girl. She's got this wacky story. What do I do? Well, the Bible says this. Because Joseph, her husband, technically her future husband, her fiance, was faithful to the law. And see, the law says you can't marry her. You got to leave her for public shame, disgrace, something. You, you can't marry her. She's got to be punished. Something's got to happen. And yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. It says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph here, he's kind of caught between law and grace. Law and grace. So he had in mind, he hadn't decided yet, but he had in mind to divorce her quietly, which he could do. He could go to a priest and make that happen. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Okay, that means he was in the lineage of King David, an important part of the story here. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, because he surely was afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because if you take her home as your wife, everyone's going to assume you're the father and you're not the father. But don't be afraid of this situation. I mean, even though your reputation is at stake, even though her reputation is at stake. I mean, the whole thing's a big mess. It's a small village, small town. Everybody knows everybody's business. It says, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me clarify something here. The, the whole virgin birth idea, nobody was expecting that. Nobody was expecting this. Yes, there's a verse in Matthew where he quotes a passage in Isaiah where it says that a virgin will have a baby and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's really cool, right? Looking from it from our direction, looking back into the past, we can see the prophetic inferences there. But you got to understand that Hebrew term for virgin that Isaiah used, it can also simply be termed as a young woman, a maiden, an unmarried person. So in that Jewish culture, this is very important, nobody was expecting a virgin birth. Like nobody, when they talked about the Messiah, said, hey, we'll know it's the Messiah because he won't have an earthly father. And quite the opposite. They were expecting the Messiah to come from the line of David. They were expecting the Messiah 
to have an earthly father who was a descendant of David. So the whole virgin birth thing, nobody's expecting it. So it's not critical to the storyline of God sending a Savior to the Jews, God sending a Messiah to the Jewish people. And here's why this is so important, because making this up does not help the story. In fact, part of the problem with the Christmas story is that it almost seems unbelievable. If you look at it outside of the broad historical context, it does seem unbelievable. Inside of that, it can be believable. But outside of that context, it's very unbelievable. In fact, maybe some of you, I don't know where you're at, you know, maybe you struggle with this whole thing. Maybe you struggle with a virgin birth. Maybe you're skeptical about Christianity, and you drive by manger scenes, and you go, boy, those crazy Christians really believe that stuff? Or here's what I would say. For Matthew or anybody else to fabricate a story about the virgin birth, that doesn't help the story. It actually hurts it because it's weird. It's improbable. Like, who's going to believe that? See? The only reason, practically speaking, the virgin birth made it into the Jesus narrative is, in fact, the fact that it's true. So, an angel appeared to Mary and then to Joseph and said, the son that's about to be born to you is special. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is where it gets rich, people. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name. Here it comes, drum roll. You are to give him the name Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, the warrior king. You are to give him the name Jesus because, now at this point, Joseph's thinking, wait, you don't have to tell me because I already know. Because for hundreds of years, our people have been oppressed. We talked about this last week. For hundreds of years, our people have been oppressed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans. I mean, I know exactly why Yeshua, the warrior king, is finally going to be born into this world. And the angel continues, because he will save his people. And of course, Joseph's going, I know he's going to save his people. I mean, that's what Joshua does. Joshua took our people into the land of Canaan. Joshua delivered us from the oppressors, right? He he made sure that we would have our own land, our own sovereignty. We could finally do our own thing. The walls came a-tumbling down. I know exactly what Joshua's going to do. He's going to save his people. The angel continues, because he will save his people from there. And Joseph's going, they're oppressors, they're invaders, The Roman occupation, we've been waiting on this one for a long time. We've heard this story since we were children. And I can't believe my son is going to be the one. And we kind of given up hope. That whole promise God made to Abraham 2,000 years ago, I thought he had forgotten. But alas, you're sending Yeshua, Joshua, the warrior king. Yes. And then the angel throws the curveball. He will save his people from their sins. And Joseph's going, hmm, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? He will save his people from their sins? Okay, angel, real quick. I know you're an angel and everything, but but look, that's not exactly a felt need for us. I mean, we need delivering. We need saving, no doubt about it. But if you were to gather all the Jews together and say, what do we need to be saved from? Nobody's going to say, we need a deliverer, a savior to come and save us from our sins. I mean, that's not what we need saving from. I mean, clearly, you're not familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, angel, okay? Let me explain this to you real quick. Pay attention, all right? 
Our basic needs are physiological, like we need food, we need water, the necessities for getting along in life. And then guess what? Once we got that secured, you know what we need? Safety. We need security. And then after that, we need love and we need community. And then finally, we need a self of a self-esteem, right? A sense of great self-esteem. That's the ultimate goal of self-actualization. Now, did you hear sin anywhere on that list, Angel? No. I mean, we need to be saved from some things, but not sin. Sin is not on that list. And besides, we already have a very sophisticated save you from your sin system. Okay, it's called the temple. It's up on a big mountain. You can't miss it. I mean, we can go to the temple and get saved from our sins all day long. In fact, our scriptures list every sin imaginable. Like, and what to do about them? We don't need another save you from your sin system. But I'll tell you who needs saving, the Romans, right? I mean, they perpetrated more sins than you can imagine. We need to be saved from the Romans. We need a savior with a sword. But Joseph doesn't respond that way, does he? And I'll tell you why. Because when God is talking to you, like whether it's through an angel or in a dream, you should probably just listen, okay? That's the wise thing to do. Correcting God, correcting an angel, not good, not, not wise. So that's what Joseph does. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, here's a big, big question for you. Do you know why many of us are not more moved when we hear that God sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins? I mean, do you know why we kind of go, oh, okay, that, that, that's cool. I don't know that that's a felt need, but, but you know, all right. Do you know why most of us don't light up or fall to our knees or get emotional when we hear that God sent Jesus to save us from our sins? I'll tell you why. It's because we read this verse wrong. 99 out of 100 Christians read this verse wrong. Here's specifically what the angel said. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But that's not what we hear, is it? What we hear is you're to give him the name Jesus because he will forgive his people of their sins, right? And see, if we're not careful, we reduce Christianity to merely forgiveness. In fact, for some of you, maybe, maybe that's your story. That's your religious, your Christian experience. It basically boils down to, hey, people mess up and God forgives. I mess up, we're all, you know, and, and God just forgives us. And hear me on this, that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. But that is not the fullness of the message of Christmas here. The message of Christmas is so much bigger, so much better than that. And if you reduce Christmas to merely forgiveness, you've missed the fullness of the message of Christmas. Because Jesus came to save us, to deliver us, not simply from the penalty and consequences of sin. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin. Jesus came in the spirit of Yeshua, Joshua, the warrior, to deliver you, to deliver me from the dominion of sin, the kingdom of sin, the power of sin, the slavery to sin. Folks, we have been promised in Jesus deliverance from, salvation from the power of sin in our lives. In fact, one day Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he made this incredible statement. Pay attention to this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full? That sounds bigger than forgiveness, doesn't it? 
I mean, forgiveness kind of puts me back at zero. But Jesus is saying here, I've come for a completely different purpose. I have come not just to free you from the penalty of sin. I've come to free you from the power of sin. So you can live an abundant life, an incredible life. The apostle Paul would come along later. and He said this in the book of Romans. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. What does that mean? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not allow sin to be your master, is what he's saying, so that you obey its evil desires. In other words, do not allow yourself to stay under the authority of sin. Don't let that happen. You say, well, Paul, we, we got a choice in this? Yeah, you have a choice, because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to deliver his people from their sins, not simply to forgive it, but to save us from the power of sin. Paul goes on to say this, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And then Paul says this, I love it. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master. Paul sort of personifies sin here. He makes sin like, like a character, a power, a force. And Jesus has delivered you as a Christian. He's delivered you from this old master sin. You don't have to serve sin anymore. You can, and many of us do, but you don't have to. And then at the end of this incredible statement, Paul kind of summarizes it with this. It's something we've heard over and over again. For the wages, the payment, the penalty, the consequences, the price of sin is death. Now, here's something that you know. Here's something that I know. You, you don't have to be a Christian to know this. We all know this. Sin kills things. Am I right? Sin kills things. Wherever there is sin, something dies. Some of you have had a marriage that was killed by sin. Some of you have had your finances killed by a lack of self-control. Sin. Some of you have seen a relationship between you and one of your sons or daughters killed by sin, either their sin or your sin. Some of you have seen an addiction kill a relationship. Or, or maybe you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. And the reason you don't like what you see is because sin has killed your view of yourself. Wherever there is sin, wherever there is sin, it leads to death. And here's the part I don't want you to miss. Even forgiven sin kills things. Even forgiven sin kills things. Our prisons are full of men and women, many of them Christians who have been forgiven. But they're going to spend the rest of their life, or at least a good portion of their life, in prison because even forgiven sin kills things. So Jesus came into this world not just to forgive us. That's huge, okay? That is necessary. That's the first part of the whole equation. But Jesus also came to deliver us. Jesus also came in the power of Joshua, the warrior king, to set us free from the dominion of sin, the power of sin. For the wages of sin is death. It's always, always, always death. But the gift of God is eternal what? Here's that word again, eternal life. Now, when we hear that, a lot of us think, oh, yeah, that means I, I get to go to heaven when I die. Okay, that's part of it, but again, it's not the fullness of it. Because hear me on this, eternal life starts right now. And eternal life is the good life. Eternal life is that abundant life that Jesus talked about. 
Eternal life is a life free from bondage to sin, a life free from sin's control. And that, my friends, is the gift of Christmas. Not just forgiveness for, but freedom from the power of sin. That's the fullness of God's Christmas gift to you. And you want to hear the best news of all? (laughs) If you're a Christian, and maybe you came to Christ when you were a child, uh, maybe it was at camp as a teenager, maybe in college through a campus organization, maybe, maybe you were an adult and your husband or your wife or your kids, they drug you to church over and over again. You finally put your faith in Jesus. But if you're a Christian and your experience has been what I talked about just a little while ago, like trying and failing and getting forgiveness, and then trying again, failing again, getting forgiveness again, trying, failing, getting forgiveness, maybe, just maybe, you're a bit like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, right? And you're wandering around with these ruby red slippers on, and you don't realize you could go home anytime you want. I mean, you could be free from sin, from the power of sin, anytime you want. You could say no to sin anytime you want. But maybe like Dorothy, you just never realized that. Like nobody ever told you that. Well, if that's the case, okay, if you're a Christian, I want you to look up here, right? I'm going to tell you right now, sin is not your master. Christian, sin is not your master. You may live as if it's your master. As long as you live that way, sin will take control, sure. But sin is not your master. Lust is not your master. That area of your life where you lack self-control, that's not your master. Alcohol is not your master. Prescription drugs are not your master. Your anger issue is not your master. Your jealousy is not your master. Your habit is not your master. You know, the Bible says when you became a Christian, you were placed in Christ. That is a loaded phrase. You are in Christ? What does that mean? Well, it means you're in him. You belong to him. Like you're inside of his righteousness. But more than that, you have his power available to you. You are in Christ. Sin is not your master. You may live as if it's your master, but it's not your master. So let me just say this. Maybe you need to wake up every morning and just make this tangible. Like wake up and tap those ruby red slippers together, okay? Wake up and say, God, I'm going to give all of me to you as my master. Like this morning, I, I give you my hands, I give you my feet, I give you my mind, my eyes, my ears, my mouth. I surrender all of me to all of And I'm just going to agree with you this morning and say sin is not my master. So I will no longer submit the parts of my body to a master who is no longer my master. And boy, once you really let that truth hit home in your life, it'll change everything. When those slippers finally take you to a new place, a new home where you realize, hey, sin is not my master, it'll rock your world. And that'll be the beginning of living the good life, the abundant life. Now, as I close here, I've got to recognize maybe for some of you here in this room, maybe some of you who are watching online, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not sure what you believe, okay? And quite frankly, the Bible just seems kind of weird to you, and the whole virgin birth story sounds really, really crazy. Let me just say this. If you're not a Christian, sin doesn't have to be your master either. So if you ever get tired of just being dragged down, and you may not call it sin, you may call it something else, that's fine right? I, I lack self-control. It was the way I was raised. You know, I didn't have good parents, my boss, whatever. That's cool. I'm not trying to dog you or anything. 
But I'm just saying, if you ever get fed up with something that seems to control you in life, with the lack of self-control, the, the self-destructive habits you bring on yourself, if you ever get fed up with the habits that you have that destroy your relationships, if you ever get tired of all that, I've got some great news for you. It's called Christmas. It's Christmas. See, Christmas is an open invitation from your Father in heaven. And it's an invitation not just to be forgiven of your sins, which you need, not just to be given eternal life, which you need. You don't want to be separated from God for all eternity. But it's also an invitation to be free so that sin is no longer your master because you're not under law. You're under grace. You're a candidate for Christmas. So who needs Christmas? <laughs> Anyone who needs to be saved from their sins. You are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, the deliverer, the warrior. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Pray with me. Lord, I recognize right now that there may be individuals here in this room listening online, and they don't know for sure that you have died for their sins, that you have come to save them from their sin. And I pray that they would know that it's nothing that they can do. There's nothing we can do to earn that deliverance, that salvation. It's a free gift that you give by faith alone. And if that describes you and you want to know that you are in Christ, you are a part of his family, you've been forgiven, you'll go to heaven, and you'll have the power so that sin will no longer have to be your master, in the quietness of your heart, just say, Jesus, I'm putting all my trust in you. There's nothing I can do. I believe you died on that cross for my sin. And I believe that you rose again and you offer forgiveness, eternal life. You offer to be my Yeshua, my Savior. And I embrace that right now by faith. God, for all of us here as Christians, I pray that in the coming days, as we anticipate Christmas, that we would remember the true message of Christmas. You didn't just come to forgive us. You came to save us from our sin. There are no excuses. We have the power of your Holy Spirit. And yes, we will stumble. The Bible is clear about that. We will fall. We will mess up time and time again. But we don't have to allow sin to be our master. Not anymore. Not anymore. Because the message of Christmas is that we have been saved. So, Lord, we thank you for the fullness of the gift of Christmas, and I pray that we would just live in that and enjoy that this week, for the rest of this year, and for the rest of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this Friday, 2 o'clock and 3.30, I want to see all of you guys here. It's going to be incredible. Got some exciting things in store. I'm, I'm eager to share them with you, but I don't want to blow the surprise. It's going to be a great service. And just be sure to bring someone who needs to know Christ as their Savior, okay? Because we will be sharing the gospel message. So have a great week, and we'll see you on Friday.